saying a word you can light up the dark try as I may I could never explain what I hear when you don't say a thing the smile on your face lets me know that you need me there's a truth in your Saying you'll never leave me The touch of your hand Says you'll catch me If ever I fall You say it best When you say nothing at all Look again at that dot That's here That's home that's us. On it, everyone you love, everyone you know, everyone you've ever heard of, every human being who ever was lived out their lives. The aggregate of our joy and suffering, thousands of confident religions, ideologies, and economic doctrines, every hunter and forager, every hero and coward, every creator and destroyer of civilization, every king and peasant, every young couple in love, every mother and father, hopeful child, inventor and explorer, every teacher of morals, every corrupt politician, every superstar, every supreme leader, every saint and sinner in the history of our species there on a mote of dust suspended in a sunbeam. The earth is a very small stage in a vast cosmic arena. Think of the rivers of blood spilled by all those generals and emperors so that in glory and triumph they could become the momentary masters of a fraction of a dot. Think of the endless cruelties visited by the inhabitants of one corner of this pixel on the scarcely distinguishable inhabitants of some other corner, how frequent their misunderstandings, how eager they are to kill one another, how fervent their hatreds. Our posturings, our imagined self-importance, the delusion that we have some privileged position in the universe are challenged by this point of pale light. Our planet is a lonely speck in the great enveloping cosmic dark. In our obscurity, in all that vastness, there is no hint that help will come from elsewhere to save us from ourselves. The earth is the only world known so far to harbor life. There is nowhere else, at least in the near future, to which our species could migrate. Visit, yes. Settle, not yet. Like it or not, for the moment, the Earth is where we make our stand. It has been said that astronomy is a humbling and character-building experience. There is perhaps no better demonstration of the folly of human conceits than this distant image of our tiny world. To me, it underscores our responsibility to deal more kindly with one another and to preserve and cherish 
the pale blue dot, the only home we've ever known. This, of course, was written by Carl Sagan in his book, The Pale Blue Dot, circa 1994. And it was a speech, or I should say a passage he wrote after viewing a photograph taken by the Voyager Explorer. It was taken in February 14, 1990. And that photograph shows sun rays in our universe with just a small pale blue speck in the middle of that photograph. And if you didn't know, if you didn't understand what the satellite was taking a photograph of, you'd have no clue that was Earth. Hello, and welcome to Bard Talk. I'm your host, Josh, and today is April 22nd, 2020, the 50th anniversary of Earth Day. And damn would I be remiss if I didn't do an episode on Earth Day. Um, so, I was homeschooled. And for me, Earth Day was mostly just that one day of the year where uh, we would talk about the ecosystem and how the Earth is formed and water cycles and stuff like that. But, you know, I never really uh, delved into the history of Earth Day when I was in school, not even when I went to public school. So I figured I would talk about the history and creation of Earth Day. Um, Also, reading one of my most favorite excerpts from the author Carl Sagan, very famous astrophysicist who, if you didn't know, wrote a book called The Pale Blue Dot. That pale blue dot was a photograph taken by the Voyager spacecraft on February 14th, 1990, at a distance of 4 billion miles away from our planet. So the Earth literally was a pixel. It was so small, if you didn't know what you were looking at, you probably couldn't pick it up. But that was 1990, which um, we saw, of course, that year, the renewal of the Clean Air, Clean Water Act. And let's start talking about how that stuff all came about. Uh, Believe it or not, NASA and our space program has been the driving force for a lot of conservation efforts, uh, mostly because... They've given us pictures of the Earth that most humans would never get to see in their lifetime. So, actually, what started off this huge Earth Day movement was a photograph. On December 24th, 1968, astronaut Bill Anders of Apollo 8 took a photograph. And this photograph was taken while his lunar module was doing orbit of the moon. Uh, They were doing pretty much a dress rehearsal for the eventual landing of the moon. But as they came up, much like a sunrise would happen, he saw the Earth rise up out of the darkness. And you got to understand that at that point, like, you know, the sun is behind him and the sun's blotting out the light of all of the other stars. So what you get is this beautiful picture of kind of half an Earth, this blue and white gigantic orb floating in a sea of absolute darkness and of course that planet is earth that's where we live that's where his whole family was that was where everybody he ever knew was from and he got this view of it and he transmitted that view via picture to people who had never seen the earth in such a light didn't realize that we were so alone and that was so isolated and that the planet was so beautiful 
you you know not that beforehand we didn't have some environmental movements but i don't think our focus was there you know we saw the industrial revolution kick in the gear at the end of the 1800s early 1900s and of course that standardization of the way we created machines and machinery helped us to terraform the earth to make it more comfortable for us we had moved a long time ago from being a nomadic tribe of peoples that would follow the seasons to actual terraforming we were able to plant ourselves down in any location we chose and breed crops and animals that could grow there and create uh, foundations and houses and buildings and heat those houses and buildings and create sewage and dr drill for water and basically terraform our way wherever we wanted there's no species on this planet that has ever changed the planet in the ways that we have just to make ourselves more comfortable and we saw this huge rise in machinery and pollution and and the movement of of our our want to dominate this place but in 1968 one photograph reminded us that we only have one planet we only have so much dot there's only so much land that we can terraform and change to our liking and that we have to protect some of it and i think it was a beautiful photo and uh the comment i read that really struck me was by jim lovell who you may know from apollo 13 whose space mission didn't go quite as planned but that's another podcast another time and Jim Lovell, when he saw the photograph, commented publicly, the vast loneliness is awe-inspiring, and it makes you realize what we have. Now this, of course, was a chain of events that would go on after this photograph made it back to Earth. And if you don't know, the founders of Earth Day can be traced back to none other than Senator Gaylord Nelson and congressman pete mccluskey now senator gaylord nelson was a republican senator in wisconsin and he was already into activism especially uh nature activism and pete mccluskey was a congressman in california pete mccluskey probably firsthand saw what we were doing to the planet because in 1969 uh, january of 1969 there was an oil spill right off the coast of California that stretched from Santa Barbara to Ventura. This oil spill, which uh, was approximately, uh, let's see, 21,000 gallons of crude, which spilled out of a, a fault that they had created, that 21,000 gallons would eventually end up being 3 million gallons before all was said and done. And it would affect the local islands of Santa Rose and Santa Cruz. And again, the entire coastline along Santa Barbara, killing thousands of fish, um, air-dwelling air birds. and The wildlife took a toll. The fishing industry took a toll. People took a toll. But mostly it was a horrific accident. And Pete McCluskey saw this as a time to capitalize so the two of them uh they recruited dennis hayes and dennis hayes is another figure you should look up he was an, an activist who at the time was attending harvard 
and he was able to organize students of various colleges for a teach-in. And that teach-in was uh, 1970, April 22nd, and they called it Earth Day back then. But it was just a day for all of the students to reflect on their impact on the planet, to observe uh, what they did on a daily basis, their rituals, the things that they did that would cause pollution, and also to take the time to reduce pollution. A lot of colleges and universities hosted like cleanups where they would clean up their campuses and get rid of trash. They would hand out literature on how to save water and electricity and encourage people to ride their bike or walk instead of using motorized transport. Um, all of this stuff was the great start that led to December 2nd, 1970, in which the federal government through a bipartisan measure, that means both Republicans and Democrats agreed, we had to do something to save the planet. On December 2nd, 1970, the Environmental Protection Agency was founded. And this Environmental Protection Agency was tasked by Richard Nixon to give Congress and the Senate ideas and information that led to better policies for uh, reducing pollution and also going after people who violated these policies. Uh, it would be two more years. 1972 saw the Clean Air and Clean Water Act passed, and this actually gave Congress some teeth to go after companies that violated these recommendations. But that was the birth of Earth Day. That was the birth of us realizing that we had a planet, a natural resource, not duplicated in our solar system that needed protection that we had to go out and do something to change because the path we were going down was going to lead to overconsumption of the resources and eventually the death and decay of our planet um, through recent space exploration and especially exploration of mars we've kind of come to the conclusion that mars probably was inhabitable at some point and that through no terraforming at all just happenstance it, uh, it fell to the rigors of carbon pollution and it became an unsustainable planet. Uh, when it lost its ozone, it became too cold and all of the water froze and there it sits at the very top poles of Mars. And certainly we couldn't abide that for our own planet. So I really truly believe that every measure we take to protect this planet is a good measure. Um, I'm not going to get into... The political debates we have right now are ridiculous and they serve nothing other than to rile people up. The truth is every measure that we take, political or personal, helps save the planet. And so, you know, I want to talk about just some of the things you can do today. Some of the ways that you can help or start helping to conserve our natural resources, some things you can do to just improve your environment. And I can promise you that the more you improve your surroundings, the more you'll improve your mood. We all know the mess that we're in right now. Um, but that's no reason not to go out the extra step and do what we all can. So, you know, some of this stuff you might know. Some of this stuff is kind of... Uh, I guess rudimentary but I grew up kinda of poor and it's funny <laughs> when you grow up poor you you learn to conserve things out of necessity it's not even a luxury um, 
I can remember the first time I took a co-ed shower. And um, the, the comment was made when I turned the water off. Yeah, when I take a shower, um, I get wet. And hey and then I I turn the water off and I soap up. And that was just kind of instilled in me. Like we we took showers when I was a little kid and we had to save hot water, you know, because we had to buy oil and oil was expensive. So used as little as possible. Um I turn the water off when I'm washing my hands. I get my hands wet and then I soap up without the water running. I turn the water off when I brush my teeth. I get my toothbrush wet, I apply toothpaste, and I turn the water off. You know, it's kind of funny, and I think it's jarring to people that never had to have those considerations. But what a good practice that is. I mean, think about, it's probably a little bit of fuel, less than an ounce or whatever it takes to heat a uh, a couple liters of hot water. But think about if we all did that. Think of collectively... If we chose to conserve the hot water or we chose to conserve the fresh water, which is a conversation that a lot of people don't have, you know, whether you have a well or you're using treated water, fresh water is not a renewable resource. It, it, it's a resource that could run out. And by you taking that small measure that I did out of necessity, uh, you know, you can save some of that. You can save your your fuel bill or electric bill because um, it doesn't really matter where you draw your electric unless you're in one of those areas which I am in where they can use nuclear power your energy is uh, usually created based off of natural gas or coal or uh, there are some wind farms and, and certainly some solar farms that are cropping up but nothing quite as good as nuclear power um, you're using energy nonetheless so that's like a really easy way today that you can start practicing um one of the other things we used to do when i was a little kid which is funny is we used to plug a lot of our appliances into strips or circuit breakers which you know looking back on it now as a firefighter totally unsafe uh, only because we would get the cheap strips from like walmart or whatever and they weren't really rated for heavy use appliances. I mean, appliances have come a long way. Uh, you still have some of them, like microwaves, are 800 watts and up. Um, but mixers and things like that, I think they use a little bit less wattage. And certainly you could plug them into a strip. But uh, either turning that strip off or unplugging them, you'd be surprised. Um, of course, if you use your microwave as a clock which I think some people probably feign that excuse, but either way, unplug what you can when you're not using it. You would be surprised. And when I was a little kid, um, part of an Earth Day report I had to do was I had to do an experiment. So for one month, we let all of the appliances that we weren't using plugged in and I looked at the electric bill and then for the next month we unplugged all of the appliances we weren't using whenever we weren't using them including the microwave and and the stove and what have you and what a pain in the ass it was but I'll tell you uh, I think back then we saved close to six dollars that month on electricity now that might be such a small margin that there were other things involved maybe I was going around the house like barking at people about Earth Day and conserving stuff I don't know I was, pretty young I guess 12 or 14 
but it made a difference. And again, all those little differences add up. And if we would all just take the time to, to, to like do little things, little things don't cost us anything except a, a tiny fraction of our time, man, the difference we could make. And we wouldn't need any government involved. It would all just be done at home. Um, one of the other things that I'm really hoping, uh, in my area, things are coming back to life. So plants are going green. Uh, my apple trees are blooming. They look gorgeous. Um, but also planting stuff. You know, I used to plant and grow my own vegetables quite often. Now, the last year, the last two years, I should say, last year was kind of a wash for me, which is a different podcast for a different reason. But the, the year before that, I had planted a vegetable garden and it kind of got destroyed because in the Northeast, we're suffering these things called lanternflies. Uh, they are an inv- invasive pest that was brought over from some Asian country and they pretty much decimated like tomatoes, cucumbers, um, a lot of, lot of crops just got eaten up by these little buggers. And we, we kind of have an answer for them now. Uh, they did find like a fungus based pesticide to deal with them, but I'm still not at the point where I'm ready to invest that kind of time into growing a vegetable garden when it's just going to get destroyed. And I, and I refuse to use commercial pesticides anyways. I will plant foxglove to try to keep away Japanese beetles. I'll plant marigolds to keep the, the, the rabbits away. I will use whatever natural resource I can, but I'll be damned if I'm going to use pesticides. So it is kind of what it is. But this year, um, I'm growing a, a ton of sunflowers. I planted sunflowers everywhere. And that's just my way. You know, it, for me, I think flowers, uh, they provide bees with pollen and and energy to sustain themselves we all know how important bees are and they look gorgeous and they're cheap man you can go to lowe's right now and for ten dollars you can walk away with 10 packs of seeds and you could probably plant close to a 16th of an acre with that i mean really honestly flowering seeds are dirt cheap and you can get any variety you want. You can get perennials. You can get annuals. You can get ones that you know you have to replant uh, ridiculously every time. But whatever you get, it's going to help. So I encourage everybody, like, fill the outside with flowers. If you don't want to plant, um, you know, garden-type stuff like vegetable gardens or what have you. And, yes, I have apple trees. I planted eight apple trees. I have two left, thanks to the deer. Um, and these two seem to be surviving and I shouldn't really blame deer in totality because apple trees are difficult. Um, if you live in an area where there are cedar trees, because apple trees get this fungus called rust and it literally just eats the weight leaves away. And my one apple tree, I don't know how it survives. It's a golden, delicious apple tree, um, out in my front yard and it gets rust every year, but it seems to just work past it. In the back, I have a Brayburn apple tree that is rust resistant, and that one is growing slower. I'm not sure if I just put it in a wonky spot. Um, for some reason, it's growing out on an angle, and I don't know why. I it could have been voles underneath the root system, like disturbed something. You got me, but I got two apple trees, and I'm hoping to plant more this year. 
Um, but yeah, and and you know what? Don't neglect inside plants. Inside plants, a little bit more expensive than seeds, but there's a variety of inside plants, and there's inside plants for everybody. I hear a lot of people say that, like, you know, they kill things and they can't grow plants to save their life. Get a cactus. Get a cactus or a succulent. Those things thrive on neglect. The more you mistreat them, the more you ignore them and let them bake in the sun, the happier they are. I mean, they're, they're plants designed to grow uh, in very harsh environments. Or, you know, uh, you can try uh, different, different types of ferns. They're pretty resilient. Uh, a lot of people like to dr grow bamboo, and that's okay. Just remember to keep it inside. Bamboo is a very invasive plant, and if you plant bamboo outside, you will have a field of bamboo, and there's nothing you can do about it. Uh, I've seen people with excavators try to dig that stuff out and not get anywhere. So keep that in mind, whatever you decide to bring in your home. Uh, certain grow zones, uh, especially further south in America, they tend to occupy foreign plants that are invasive, and you can unleash all kinds of hell on your native wildlife. So, you know, don't don't try to do a thing and have it turn up to a negative. Just do a little bit of research. But plants are a great way to uh, give back. And, you know, the last thing I'll say is don't forget the power of reading. You know, I read that excerpt from the little pale blue dot. But sometimes it's a good thing to just turn the TV off, turn the computer off, shut your phone off, get away from something that's drawing energy, and read a book. Um, I know I'm going to get bashed by the Kindle users. If you need to read a Kindle, read a Kindle. It doesn't matter, but a Kindle uses far less energy than a large flat screen TV and a DVD player and a sound system or your computer. Read and, and enrich your mind with something wondrous today. You know, there's there's all kinds of way you can go out. Uh, unfortunately, due to our current situations, nature cleanups have to be done kind of solo style, which I think takes away a little bit of the enrichment of it. But, you know, go out there and uh, clean up your yard or, or, you know, clean up your street, clean up your sidewalk, wherever you are. Do do one small project today. It's Earth Day. It's the 50th anniversary of Earth Day. I wish something glorious was happening. You know, you'd think we'd celebrate it in some grandiose way, but, you know, um, we're all sick. Everybody is, is, is worried about this COVID thing, and it is a big deal. And I would like to think we're turning a quarter, and, and this will be in the rear view soon enough. So maybe the 51st anniversary of, of Earth Day will be something grandiose. Maybe it'll be some big organized cleanup we can take part of. But in all things, there is a lesson. And, you know, Earth Day didn't start as some government-sanctioned organization. It, Earth Day was an activist. Uh, Dennis Hayes was a, a college student at Harvard. Now, of course, he was recruited by uh, Gaylord Nelson and Pete McCluskey, but he was just a person. And he organized... Uh, the first Earth Day cleanups, the first teach-ins where they talked about this kind of stuff. And that was a very personal thing. And I think we forget that. We don't always need somebody pointing a finger at us and telling us what to do. We can take responsibility for ourselves. So I'm going to wrap this up at that. Keep this at a half hour. 
I have a little bit of uh, baggage I have to get off of my chest. Last week's episode, um, when I went into the <laughs> the Marvel one, I I had some some incorrect things. Uh, I said that Zack Snyder directed Age of Ultron. That was actually Josh Whedon. Uh, Josh Whedon. Josh Whedon. I'm sorry. He uh, he was the one who did the Buffy series and maybe Charmed. Not sure. It doesn't matter. But uh, not Zack Snyder. Even though I blame Zack Snyder for the entirety of bad filmmaking in Hollywood. That was Joss Whedon. Same thing applies though. Apparently the guy didn't watch any of the other movies. And it just seems like a movie out of sync. Secondly, um, Jude Law was in Captain Marvel. Not Ewan McGregor. Uh, I guess I just got too wrapped up in the passion I have for things. And I was blurting out names that were incorrect. So I apologize. I've corrected that now. So for you nitpickers who don't have anything nice to say but like to rub my nose in the doggy doo-doo of my mistakes, there you go. Nose rubbed. Next week, I don't know what I'm going to get into. We'll talk about maybe homeschooling because I was homeschooled for most of my life. And I know a lot of people are struggling with that, so I might do some research and talk about my experiences and uh, maybe interview somebody who did it right. Don't know. Really trying to get somebody else in on this thing, but we'll see how it goes. So everybody, please enjoy the 50th anniversary of Earth Day. Make it a personal one. Go do some act of service. Clean something up. Plant something. uh, Turn your water off. Do something today. And just show Mother Gaia some love because, God, you know, she needs it. We all need it right now. Stay safe out there. All day long I can hear people talking out loud When you Drown out the crowd. Old Mr. Webster could never define what's been said between your heart and mine. The smile on your face lets me know that you need me. There's a truth in your eyes saying you'll never leave me. Touch of your hand says you'll catch me if ever I fall. You say.